y'all. Welcome to the Moral Minority Show. I'm Nina Leon. And I am Joshua Luckett. And we are so excited to have y'all back today. I'm going to kick it off to Josh because he has something pretty exciting for y'all. Y'all, so a huge part of our show that we wanted to do is we wanted to not only have really cool conversations about particular topics and talk about them from the perspective of of a minority, but also we want to have guests who have expertise, whether they're a minority or not, on these topics that we're talking about. Uh, But this guest that we have is a minority and also an incredibly intimate and awesome um, part of my life. Uh, We actually have my mom here today. Um, Say hey. Hey. Hi. This is my mom. Her name's Valencia Luckett, and she's going to be joining us on the podcast today. Valencia, right off the bat, we're so excited. Thank you for taking your time. Um, But can we just start off with your favorite childhood Josh memory? Just like right out the gates, the first thing that comes to your mind. Favorite, one of my favorite. Uh, I think Josh was maybe about 13. uh, Yeah, about 13. Um, There was a skunk on the bayou near our home. And Joshua was just afraid that either he, his brothers, or his sister was going to get sprayed with uh, the skunk scent, and he said, but don't worry about it, guys. I know what to do. We can cover <laughs> ourselves in tomato juice. This is so true. We're going to be fine. And we were all like, okay, yeah, let's do this. But then we kind of paused. We said, well, Joshy, where did you hear that? He said, Chucky on the rug rat said it. <laughs> this, is, this is so true. Oh, that is fantastic. Uh, this is so true that it's actually and, um, scary. To save the French fries, little Burger King French fries. Um, and only because we had to convince him that the Mr. Potato Head French fries that were advertised on the commercial were not real. So when we went to Burger King, we had to explain to him that there wasn't a menu item of Mr. Potato Head French fries versus just the French fries that really existed. Oh, so he really, really liked cartoons, and he was really sold on, on marketing, but it, it was just so cute because he was convinced that, you know, there was Mr. Potato Head French fries at Burger King. Oh, that is like, fantastic. This is, this is legendary. <laughs> the whole world is getting to hear uh, my... Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was okay, but in my defense, Toy Story was really big back then. This, yeah, this is when I was younger, and I don't know. I just the Rugrats, credible source. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, so I'm so I'm just like I'm a sponge, just soaking up information (laughs) and taking it back to the masses, um, (laughs) believing believing that it's wisdom. Um, And we actually have your book that you carried around. He was my role model. I yeah, I wanted to be 
exactly like him. I wanted his bravery. I definitely like wanted his uh, his uh, his vision, his dream to come true in my life and in people's lives. And so, yeah, I just remember at a young age being really fascinated with him for sure. For sure. Well, we're really excited to have you on. Um, basically, one of the things that we want to do, kind of what I mentioned at the beginning of the show, is we want to kind of revisit the topics that we had before. So we've been talking okay. through, uh, we've been talking through women in ministry. We've been talking through women in society. We've been talking through um, kind of things that affect women in society, like abortion, sexism, toxic masculinity. And today we want to revisit. Um, we want to revisit uh, the conversation of women in ministry, and uh, okay. yeah, we feel like you have a pretty good expertise in that. And uh, so we're gonna ask, we're gonna ask some questions and kind of, um, kind of find out what's been your experience in that area mm-hmm. and kind of get to hear from your wisdom. Okay, great. Yeah. First, Bye. do you want to just tell us a little bit about? Um, how you came to faith, and we'll we'll just start from there. Okay, okay. Repeat the question for me. Yeah, would you um, mind just telling us first how you came to faith, and then from there, uh, your path really that led you into going into ministry. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, really, I started off maybe. Early twenties, uh, because I was, as I said, I was raised in Catholicism, so I, I was always raised in an arena where faith was in your relationship with God was key and essential to your life. I mean, I think that was just instilled from a child um, to pray to have a relationship with God. We always um, we knew that we had to attend church. We participated in church events and activities. Now, as far as the transition into knowing God for myself, per se, and having a personal relationship with Him, that developed much later on in my life. Um, Mm. And at that point is when I truly accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I knew Him as the salvation of our household and my grandmother's faith, but personally, I would say I was in my early 20s. and it was just an experience and an encounter that I knew my life was just going to never be the same. Um, and some parts of it was just indescribable. Um, I know that I didn't have an emotional relationship with the Lord because those kind of waxed and waned. Mm-hmm. My relationship with the Lord was more life-changing. Um, I, at the time, I was in an abusive marriage, mm. and I was coming out of that. Um, I was coming into salvation and coming out of the abuse. Um, so I think I took a hold to faith as a lifeline, um, and it helped develop and shape the strength of my relationship with Christ because I saw it as literally that, a lifeline. Um, and from that, from the point of accepting Christ, being taught and trained in the ministry. Um, it was, I would say, almost three to four years when the Lord called me to ministry to serve um, as a messenger of the gospel. Um, so that would put me at 25, 
26, mm-hmm. and just honestly, I was a woman full of faith. I had a serious prayer life. Um, I probably was at church every time the doors were open. Even <laughs> I, I was like the, the convert that just walked up to everybody and said, hey, Jesus loves you. I mean, I just was evangelical, and I was emphatic about God, and I believed in the Word and in the presence of the Lord that I just thought everybody should experience it. Um, Mm -hmm. I just had this joy Mm -hmm. about serving the Lord. And so in comes the call, and I, this big mountain of faith that I had, it all of a sudden seemed like it shrunk down to I felt like I was an atom in the universe. I was like, God, are you serious? Like, you really want me to go and tell people? And it was funny because I really had been doing it all along, but it was like to hear God say that. It it came with a lot of pressure because it's not easy being a woman and being in ministry. Right. Yeah. Really not. That's perfect. I was like, I didn't think that I fit the bill. Um, you know, I kind of was like Moses, not that I stutter, but I was like, yeah, I have all these issues, and I don't think I'm qualified because I had an image of what a preacher was. I had an image of, you know, what church leaders were, and I was like, I just kind of don't fit that bill. I'm mm. just good kind of being in the background. Mm. Um, so, hey, you know. Mom, I'm, uh, I'm curious. How did uh, Grandma and Grandpa... Uh, kind of factor into your faith journey? Um, well, Grandma was a woman of faith. She actually accepted Christ. She never converted towards her religion, uh, but she converted towards relationship. And okay. she really literally was the one that would sit down with um, Grandpa and I, and we would have Bible study together as a family. Um, she taught me how to pray. She taught me the importance of prayer and faith. And um, so she started that foundationally as far as Grandpa. Uh, he was a man of faith. He had a huge giving heart. I mean, you know, and he had what I realize now, he really had a gift of wisdom. And I think that has been passed on. That That's a legacy that they built as far as faith. They built a legacy of, you know, being altruistic towards other people, or being concerned for the good of someone else. Mm. Um, they were big fighters for the underdog, mm. and um, they were they were really strong in the fact of never losing your faith in God and always believing that God would always be with you, which is key because they're both gone on now. They passed away, and I think they left that legacy of faith and the fact that you know we have that comfort that God is always with us and helped us in their absence so oh, I think really that was, they, they put some real spiritual principles in place um, in those areas and definitely community outreach um, I, I don't think there was a person that they didn't know or a family that was in need that came across their path that they didn't help hmm. um, they opened their door to people to come in you know, to live if they needed to. So I saw them doing missionary work on American soil in home. I didn't know the term as a child, mm. but I realized that now my parents were missionaries. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. 
And I think that's such a like important perspective because oftentimes when we think of ministry or missionaries, it's like overseas doing, um, you know, just like different countries. But yeah, that's so true that your mission is right in front of you where you are no matter where you are in the world but even domestically like our mission it like they're the people right in front of us mm. that's powerful so so you so you feel like you get this call to ministry i love what you said you kind of felt unequipped like oh i'm moses i'm a stutterer like what am i doing you know like but uh i i'm also curious how do you feel like dad really encouraged you in your in your gifts as you got called in the ministry. <laughs> okay. Well, because he's not listening in the room. Is <laughs> <laughs> a kind of keep your head in the game guy. <laughs> um, he really helped because, one, she had been in ministry a lot longer than I had. He was called to ministry at 18. Mm. Wow. Um, so by the time I had met, um, he was already out evangelizing in the housing projects and working in church ministry. He was really grounded in the ministry call on his life. So he had a lot of wisdom to share. Um, he's very encouraging. But what I like is that he empathized with me, but he wouldn't pacify the I can't do it and woe is me and people are mean and I'm never going to preach again and I'm not going to hold teas and breakfasts because people are rude and so that is the kind of person he's like listen you have to have faith but you have to know how to apply that faith and you have to know how to face the winds of opposition and still stand so he he's really a good motivator very supportive um he's not real easy to just kind of you know how can we say it about coach like you <laughs> you can't just, you can't just get over on him you no. have to come with the hardcore facts and truth and you know if jesus mm. doesn't come out the sky and back you up you're pretty much gonna not <laughs> so he he doesn't just wax and wane with little emotional outbursts per se like i said he's empathetic but he won't pacify the mm. wrongdoing or, you know, the wrong thinking. So he's pretty level-headed, and he helps kind of sometimes to keep me a little grounded mm. in that area. Um, because being a mom, a grandmother, a minister, a pastor's wife, and all those other things, that's a lot of hats. And it can come with a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so his dad is like my best friend, of course. Um, <laughs> he's, and he's my pastor. So mm, he gives good. me counsel, and some things I want to do, he's like, no, you know, let's pray about it, let's get you pray about it, and I'm like, well, it just kind of, no, did you think the Lord about mm. it, and then come back and let's talk, and so, I mean, he, he is my pastor, That's powerful. people think it's funny, but he is, he's my pastor, um, he's like my Elijah, <laughs> so, yeah, talk, talk about that dynamic, so, yeah, talk about that dynamic. So you are, uh-huh. you are, uh, is it fair to say an ordained minister? Yes, I am. Yes, mm-hmm. and 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 then your your husband, uh, dad, is a is also a, a pastor. Mm-hmm. And so, what does that what does that dynamic look like for you guys as you both minister side by side uh-huh. in um, in your church? Um, it, it looks really 
because one, you know clearly we're a husband and wife team. You know the roles are really established in that. That, like I said earlier, I never usurped dad's authority as senior pastor of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a charge that God has given to His life. So my my role in that is to undergird and help, but I never overtake. And I may know the right answer to something, and God may have said something to me, but what the Holy Spirit has taught me, and this is on the marriage side for people who are married and in ministry, (laughs) um, the Holy Spirit gives you wisdom. And, you know, the Lord lets you know, well, maybe you shouldn't say that just right now. (laughs) You know, maybe in another moment or in another manner, because sometimes when two people have calling on a, I mean, it could either be like a bullhorn laugh, like, well, I know I'm right, and the other person's like, yeah, but I know I'm right, and then it's like a big confusion. So, in the dynamic of the church, it's pretty clear that we are a husband and wife team in ministry, but you see the example of a godly marriage. That's um, awesome. First. We know that marriage is a ministry as well. So you don't see me telling, listen, you better do it this way, or I'm not going to speak to you, or I'm not going to cook you dinner if you don't let me have the women's tea on September whatever. <laughs> so you never see that kind of awful dynamic. I never take advantage. And when I'm dealing with people in the ministry, I don't take advantage of my position as dad's wife. I don't do that. And I've, I've known people to do that as very it brings a very horrible atmosphere to the ministry so we're very functional and then when we work together like um, if we have like a prayer meeting I mean it's like a dynamic duel we we really work well together in ministry when we sit down and talk about the word we love it we'll talk about it for hours because we just chop up the word together that's I mean, awesome I think we just have that bond yeah, no, that's wonderful. In place. And we don't let anybody else uh, break that because some people, they'll say, well, let me get to the pastor's wife and get favor there, and then she can be used to kind of get. And so we're mindful of those type of things in church politics. Uh, so we're a pretty sharp team. Yeah, it sounds like it. I, I am I am curious, though. So you have a great support system with your husband. Like, you guys sound like you're like a, like a power couple, um, for lack of a better phrase. You guys are just definitely seeking the Lord together and doing great things and being obedient. Um, so you have that support. But have you ever faced opposition from anyone in ministry? And what did that look like? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> How long do we have, right? I have had great opposition. Um and it, it's ranged from different perspectives. One, like I said, um, you know, I had to ask the Lord, Lord, well, when you called me, you didn't tell me I was gonna have a Judas ministry mm. where it seemed like every time you turned around you dealing with competitiveness because we're still talking about women in ministry and I'm not stereotyping but unfortunately sometimes it seems to be magnified if God's using one person in a particular way somebody may get envious you know somebody gets a little petty and competitive and but they take it to such a serious level like it's really unbelievable 
if you're looking on the outside, you're like, no, nah, that couldn't happen. But from the inside, it does happen. And um, so I've had people angry that I was called and operated in my calling that way. Um, I've been told, you know, women can't preach. Um, and what do you say to these people? And Valencia, what do you what do you say to these people who are questioning the call of God on your life? Like, what is your response? Okay, I have a radical streak like Jesus. This is what I do with people who continuously debate if women should preach. I don't debate. Mm. I made that statement. I will never debate because I know that God called me. So what wow. I do and what God has taught me to do. He says, listen, just go in and do the work and the evidence of the fact that I called you through the work and through the reports that come back will speak for themselves. That's so good. It, I don't have to run around proving with a T-shirt on that, hey, I'm a woman and I'm called to ministry and I can, I just do it. Mm. I just um, and do when it. I go to That's so good. Where people believe that women you know, shouldn't do that. I never disrespect the house of God or the authority that God put in that house. Regardless of, you know, if I think it's super traditional, I never disrespect that. So if there's a place where women can't sit on the pulpit, hey, give me a chair and I'm fine. Mm, Because God is still going to get the glory. So I think I don't put my personality and my ego in it, and I just let the ministry work go forth. And God gets the glory. And at the end of the day, I know who I am. I already know when I accept the invitation, I already knew, you know, that there would be opposition to that. And God just, that's just a a strategy that he gave me to handle it. And, you know, people will pull you into a debate with the word. And I'm like, well, I'm not a heretic. And I'm not going to hell. So I'm just going to go ahead and lay hands on the stick. And they do get healed. And, you know, for me, I think sometimes I make people uncomfortable that are in them. Like, insecure people are very uncomfortable because my personality, I'm very humble. But I do have a little radical streak. And when I believe something, I don't back down from it. So Mm. I'm not going to not be the minister. If we're in a room, I mean, I will respect, but you will know that you have to respect me. As first as a woman of God, if you can't respect me as anything else, you must respect me as a child of God. So I don't tolerate disrespect. Um, But, yeah, I've been in circles where that has happened. I mean, I didn't go up and say, hey, you're being chauvinistic. No. Mm. Holy Spirit, have your way. (laughs) If you want me to be quiet, Lord, I won't say a word. So I'm I'm curious as one of your six um, children. Um, we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about the funny thing that happened before the show. Um, but yeah, as one of your six children, like I'm 
I'm interested in like as uh, you know you and dad are both ministers how do you feel like you've tried to influence your kids um, with oh with the gospel <laughs> and with uh, with a biblical worldview <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it was so sweet. <laughs> you can tell this um, mama loves her children. <laughs> but the funny thing is, I think the ch- the biggest challenge and the biggest fear for me initially was not so much for you guys, but it was like protecting you from people. Like I didn't want people to put the pressure that you guys had to walk water and sing with angels all day long because I knew that there's horror stories of kids that were made to do that. Mm, that's and so, so good. Um, mm. And then to um, the challenge of knowing what we went through daily as a family, and we're a blended family, so that that was you know issues in that area. Mm-hmm. But all of it came down to prayer, faith. Um, I do know that you guys have seen me operate because you know when I just went into those moments, well, okay. Well, there was a prayer meeting for the whole house, and if you guys didn't show up, I just started praying out loud, and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to clean the house and start praying, and they're going to hear the prayer anyway. <laughs> she said, I'm not even going to worry about it. Jesus will take care of them. <laughs>
we see God answering that in you guys' lives. I think we did a good job in the example setting. Mm. Um, I don't think you guys look to us to walk on water and fly around the house on, in, on angel wings. I think you saw us the same way that we behave at home at church. We don't have like a church face. Mm. And I think that's powerful. Mm. That we're, is awesome. We're like Camp Luckett wherever we go. <laughs> Camp Luckett, I love it. Like, it. It's pretty much that way. So, you know, I mean, I'll still tell them straighten and tie and make sure their shoes are clean and things uh, like that. Yeah, but yeah. as far as the state of the soul and the, the, the fact that God has you guys, I, I think that's been good. Um, another challenge in parenting and being called, um, I think in those rough times in ministry where we experience like church hurt or betrayal, um, we were concerned about it filtering over to how you guys will perceive church people. Mm. Um, because unfortunately, sometimes that stuff will trickle over into your household because you form bonds with people. Um, and so that was kind of challenging because we really we're New Orleanians and we're very hospitable so we kind of like receive everybody and so it was kind of like a wake up call in ministry that you can't do that you have to have boundaries Mm. Um, so that was pretty challenging Um, when you have to teach stranger danger from a church perspective to your kids Mm -hmm. and it, it is like that whole thing was pretty awkward yeah I, okay, that was beautiful. And then you said something that I really wanted to kind of zone in on a little bit. So we are New Orleanians, um, the Luckett clan. And uh, what was uh, what was the ministry scene like for you in New Orleans? And kind of what what's kind of the the ministry? What is it? What what does kind of church look like in you know in that New in New Orleans? What's the landscape like? Yeah. Um, they instituted prayer not 
based on like situational prayer was just a prayer life, how to develop a life of prayer, mm. um, a daily life of prayer versus maybe a meeting or an event. A meeting. Um, <laughs> prayer meetings. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm trying to find the politically correct thing. <laughs> Without being offensive, but it is a it was a big difference. Um, and it made a huge difference in us as believers and then as leaders it made a huge difference on how the things are carried on in the ministry that we have. Um, and it's funny because when people of African American culture come to the church, they may have been to other African American churches and it's kind of like a culture shock um, because they're looking at us and they're like, well, you're black and but your ministry seems like Kenneth Copeland or <laughs> and, it's, and it's really sad but it's true and then you know it's like but really truthfully we should know the word we should have a daily life of prayer and no we don't have to have 50 events um, and we don't have to do 800 offerings we can just teach you the principle of giving and so we we really have a teaching ministry, and, and that is not typical for our culture, unfortunately. Mm. Um, so it's, it is different. The cultural differences, of course, um, between Texas and Louisiana are seriously different. Um, of course, people in Louisiana are hospitable, as I said. Not that Texans aren't, but they're just not as hospitable as New Orleans. Mm. Um I, I want to jump into something. You, so you said, so uh, so I've always witnessed this. Uh, you, and uh, but you said that like, um, you know, you guys have, you got, you know, I know that both of y'all are really gifted teachers. Um, um, do do you feel like? Uh, wh- why do you feel like you see a lack of that? In the, in the African American church. Uh, let me see. Ooh, you're going to get me in trouble, Joshua. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the point. <laughs> my name is anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I see is fear. Okay. From top tier, it could be fear. Um, because, you know, if you read, you become informed. Ooh. Mm. Become educated, you become enlightened, and you also become empowered, which is what we should be. But if there's an ulterior motive, and this is the ugly side of ministry, if there's something other than just the discipling of men to follow Christ, and there's other things going on, well, fear can creep in, and where fear comes, what control mm. and manipulation. Um, and unfortunately, in the house of God, it shouldn't be, but it does exist. We're not agreeing to that. Um, I think that sometimes there's an aversion to teaching because of um, Lord Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> let let loose. You just gotta say it. Among your own culture can happen. Uh, we know that. Uh, some people may look at it that mm, you think you're too good because you're smart and you're being uppity. Uh. And it's really not that, but that happens. 
and that can go both ways. You can be discriminated against it from female, from other females, mm-hmm. or just in general. And that's really bad because that's really a holdback on a lot of levels. Because really, if you're educated and you're bringing that back, you're bringing it to better the community overall. Mm. It's not an individual ego thing. But I think sometimes people in their insecurity bring it back to that. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty disheartening. Um, I went through a phase where I expressed to dad that I was never going to go to a quote, quote, black church again in my life. Mm. Because I felt like I was robbed. I was deceived in my mind from mm. the church hurt. Um, and of course, God healed. And I had to understand that what you can't just stereotype that, but I understood what I meant, that I wasn't going to go anywhere where cliches were used, and not the word. I wasn't going to go anywhere where anything other than the word was taught, and where I knew that the presence of God was not really there, because I do know that, and I can't dumb that down. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't going to be put in foolishness when I really was trying to build my faith. And I wasn't willing to compromise that anymore. So some things I had to decline invitations to. Um, I can pray and I can fellowship, but I don't have to be entwined in some things. So, you know, and then like I said, we just have a multicultural ministry approach. Mm. So that's not really all the time common, but it should be. Yeah. That's huge. And um, with and the multicultural... Um, over, what, 20 to 25 years in ministry. So we've seen a lot. We've experienced and heard. And so some things we just know it shouldn't exist, but it did. And with the multicultural ministry, um, you, you yeah. know, you... Do you have a lot of cultures coming in? And how do you navigate those waters? People that um, come from different backgrounds, that have a different idea of what the church should do how the service should go like how do you navigate these conversations okay um well it's funny but we we've had um let's see it's the hispanic culture will fellowship um and let's see of course african-american now, when we have events, like outreach events, that anyone can come in and they'll fellowship. But how do we handle the differences? Um, one of the main areas we started out in the church, it was so funny because the music. Mm. <laughs> we had to literally work with the people that were on the praise team and help them understand, okay, there's different types of music. You can't just pick one one flavor or one race's particular sound. And so it, it took some time to do that, but it was funny because, I mean, I came in and my kids teased me because I like, like Brandon Heath and <laughs> <laughs> I like Mercy Me. And, you know, I mean, really, I do. No, yeah. I have been called an Oreo 
Oh, no. The the um, dreaded people, title. People say ugly things. The dreaded it's okay. title. It's okay. It's just who I am, and I've been this way. So we had to kind of bring that in, and it's good because it was good training and teaching for those that had never experienced that. So when people came, we were able to embrace and understand other cultures. Mm. Yeah, um, that's huge. And vice versa, because you can't let other cultures come in and dominate. It, it really just has to be the common ground has to be found. I and love that. That's yeah. To one race, well, that, that's not fair. I love that. I also I wanted to comment on it. I, I think that I think it's really important what you said earlier about like um, the kind of the black church hurt. Um, that it's so powerful because I think you know in many ways yes the black church has been persecuted and kind of ostracized um, throughout uh, American history. But um, but there is a reality that the black church is still while it has. I mean, very rich traditions, and I can't wait to talk about that on this podcast, and very rich theology and, and a rich yeah. history. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it also has sinners, you know, and, and I think yeah. that that's been, I think that's been very true, um, and I think that has been a, a, an experience that, um, that I've seen you guys face, and I've seen y'all walk through, yeah. and 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 I and I do want to say, as a witness to it, you guys have walked through it really well. Wow. Yes, it's true. That has, you know, that's been a journey. Um, I remember Dad was working on the book that says, "There's no hurt like a church hurt," mm-hmm. and that is really deep because it was our personal experiences, you know, as being members and ministers. So it wasn't like a hearsay thing. It was what we actually. And it, it was very painful. Uh, not to say that you couldn't experience that anywhere else, but it just so happened that it was there. Mm. And yeah. um, so we had to kind of work through that and really not shape the ministry that we work in like a nana and a boo-boo, like we're doing it better than you or we know more than you. Mm. Um, so you always have to be mindful of your ego being at work, you know, that you're not puffed up in ego, or you're not doing it to get back at the imaginary them that really probably don't even remember half this stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, it it takes time to heal and bounce back from that, that type of hurt in the church. Um, I know being a woman in ministry, uh, women are seen sometimes as emotional. Come on. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. And, Talk about you it. Know, I mean, well, and the truth is, I can be passionate, and I am a passionate evangelizing preacher. I will get very passionate about seeing somebody healed or, you know, hearing a testimony of a a miracle. I mean, I get passionate if my kids come home and say they made an A on a paper. So, I mean, I'm just, I get excited, but I think it's unfair to, to... find us as emotional creatures because sometimes that takes away from the fact that we are intellects as well because mm. I am an intellect and I can hold an intelligent conversation and chop up the theology and I can exegete and do all those things that mm. you do in seminary I can do that Come very on. well but it doesn't mean that I can't be compassionate towards somebody else so I mean for women it's like if you show compassion if you show a little bit too much might be 
labeled as emotional and then it's just turned on to the fact that that's all that we are and, and I think that's not fair because um, men are emotional <laughs> yes they are. yeah yeah and sometimes just being honest of having been a woman that's done natural childbirth uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes mama let him know Yes, this is great. But honestly, I think that um, we're not just a bundle of emotions, and God did give us emotions, but we do have to keep that in check because I've seen some people be super emotional and kind of move away from the task at hand. Um, But I think it's unfair that we come in to the table with that stigma on the table. I think even of the things we fight against, like we're supposed to battle against principalities and spiritually wicked rulers in high places, but yeah. I think sometimes as a woman, a woman, pastor, leader, minister, sister, servant, missionary, whatever you want to call us, we've got to come through so much red tape. It's almost when it's time to do the ministry work, it's exhausting, and you're fighting a dual battle. You're fighting the enemy saying you're not capable, and you're fighting inwardly an ally, which I call friendly fire, so it's like, whoa, I gotta have a double barrel here. Yeah, that's so huge. I gotta be prepared to fight on the team that I'm fighting for. Right, and yeah. And it's really hard sometimes. It's hard. It's, it's, it's hard. It's difficult. And sometimes it'll make you want to throw in the towel. Mm. Well, thank God you haven't. Yes. Uh, yeah. We got a, we got a couple of closing questions for you. I, okay. I want to know about um, you, you wrote a book. Um, what uh, what's it called? Where can we find it? Yeah, tell us about it. Okay, it's called Moments by the Brook. Um, it's a thirty day devotional. I call it a GPS for life because <laughs> in those thirty devotionals there is different topics. Um, and it deals with everything that you could think of in real life that you're going to deal with. Christian, non-Christian, it just deals with real life, but it brings it in devotional form. Um, there's funny moments in there. Um, each devotional is called the life moment. Um, there's how to deal with the loss of a loved one. There's parenting. Wow. There's how to do divorce. There's how to deal with marriage and ministry, how to deal with distractions. Um, there's even thing on health and fitness, like it's called gym life. Um, there's a little bit flavor of my southern roots because there's one called morning coffee, uh, which is one of my favorites. And because I'm a mom and I wrote while I was still parenting and housekeeping and things, there's one called a lesson from grit. The lessons <laughs> and from grit. Wow. It's a very powerful topic. It's hilarious, but it's really true. Um, and you will be amazed how you can get a subject out of grit. So, <laughs> that is I, awesome. It has a prayer after each devotional, and there's a, a journal page in there because I like people to read, spend time with God, get their own insight, input, how it applies to your life practically because I think if the word's not practical, then what are we doing here? Yeah. Um, 
because you should be able to apply it to your everyday life. And that's what Moments by the Brook does. It captures it in 30 days. But it's a very powerful book. um, It's on Amazon. It was on Amazon's bestseller list after nine days of being released. It made the bestsellers list. Congratulations. That is huge. It's been pretty phenomenal. I love it. I love going to do meet the author workshops and um, book signings and things because I get to hear the feedback back from people. And it's just a pretty powerful testimonial. Um, Some had a lot of tears because they were like, wow, this book really reached me. And it really gave me an answer that I had been searching or it spoke to a situation or an experience that I've had. So it's pretty good. And it's not just for women. Um, I've had men come back and attest to <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I love it. It was good. So, so it's available on Amazon. Oh, there's a Kindle format. It's at barnesandnoble.com. Um, Books a million. Hmm. Indie. It's on various online outlets. And I'm working to get it into grocery store, local grocery store, um, and on the shelves at Barnes and Noble. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, so it, it's, I love the book. Um, it took me two and a half years to really write it, and and to just see it in print and see it touching lives. Like I, I love it. That's amazing. It. It's a good book. So, um, well, first, I don't have any other questions for you, but I did I did want to just say thank you. Uh, well, I do have, like, a million other questions, but we don't have time for that. Um, just from I feel so uplifted by this conversation because when I hear you speak, I hear humility. Um, I see someone who is um, preserving her culture, but the utmost importance is uh, acting as a child of God and not letting these kind of cultural constraints confine you to listening to a certain type of music or acting a certain way what you make define you is the word of god and the spirit of the living god within you and i think that's absolutely amazing and i I just want to thank you again i cannot thank you enough for taking the time i know um people listening to this are gonna i I, specifically i want to show my girls that i minister to at sos and i I want them to listen to it i want them to feel encouraged and i definitely think they will be and I guess that maybe that is my question like what would you say to those girls who have a passion and who feel led into ministry like do you have um advice or words of encouragement for them uh yeah uh one of the things I would say to them is be confident that you were created in the image of God Mm. um the skill set allow God to develop that and that takes a lot of pressure off of us feeling like we're under the microscope always remember you're in the palm of God's hands he's never going to lead you in the wrong direction always keep a teachable spirit and be confident in who he created you to uniquely be Um, in dark places trust him to still be God Um, hold on to your victories real tight treasure them because in those losing moments it's those past victories and the hope of like one to come and it's going to pull you through um be bold you don't have to be abrasive but be bold Mm. about the word um let's see what else 
Oh my goodness. Keep a heart of compassion and always be passionate about who God called you to be and what he called you to do. And when you're faced with those moments of seeing someone like in a bad light, always remember where you were when God met you. Wow. I think that's key to any ministry work that we do. We must remember who we were when Christ found us. Okay. And that keeps that sense of compassion going. It keeps the sense of fairness going in the sense of not <clears throat> looking down on someone or scorning someone. Um, and always, 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 always ask God for wisdom mm. in decision making. Never rely on your own wisdom, your own know-how your own strength. Always keep a strong prayer life and a lot of communication open with the Lord. Mm. That's, oh, that's good. so good. Oh my and gosh. also, you know, have a good mentor, a person of faith, mm. solid for agreement and teaching. Wow. Mom, well, oh my goodness. Yes. Thank you so much. This has been incredible. So much wisdom um, displayed here today and like I'm, I'm a little jealous because I've gotten to experience this wisdom my whole life and now I'm having to share it with everybody um, but uh, but yeah no thank you so much for joining us um, I can't wait to text you a bunch of heart emojis saying thank you after this um, but yeah love you so much and uh, I'll talk to you soon okay thank you thank you for having me on the show Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. It was nice to meet you. As usual, guys, um, you can comment um, your questions, comments, concerns at themoralminorityshow at gmail.com. Uh, we want to hear from you. We want this to be uh, a discussion, engage with y'all, not just Josh and myself. Um, but, yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. Yeah. My name's Josh. And I'm Nina. Have a good one.